Welcome, Willow Park Church and our friends online. We are so glad that you've joined us as we celebrate together the goodness of God and keep believing that the Lord is with us, that the Lord will strengthen us, that the Lord surrounds us in his goodness and in his grace. What an opportunity we have at this time to share the love of Jesus with people in our community. We're starting to think about Christmas now at Willow Park Church. And of course, it's not going to be the same. We can't do living nativity. Usually we have 8,000 people come through the church in those weekends in, in December. I love living nativity, but we're not able to do that. So what we want to do and what you will hear about, we want to turn that volunteer engine, that power, that strength that resides within our church. And we want to bless our community through acts of kindness, through giving. And we've devised something which you're going to hear about using, yes, Christmas stockings. Kind of a Christmas stocking appeal. You're going to hear more about this, but we want to bless organizations like the Pregnancy Care Centre. We want to bless the shelters in the city with these stockings full of gifts and things that will encourage the people that receive them. We want to bless the gospel mission and the many that relate there, over 200 people that relate to that ministry. We want to bless Metro community. Oh, let me tell you something. As we look towards Christmas, and it's going to be here quickly, we want to bless people. As a church, we want to reach out. We want to create opportunities. And we're calling this whole event the gift of Christmas. Often we say, living nativity is a gift to our community. Well, we can't do that. But what we're going to do is this. We are going to give the gift of Christmas to people. Opportunities to care. Opportunities to connect. Opportunities to show the love of God. So be watching out for that, particularly as we talk about it on the Willow One News. So now I'm going to turn over to Curtis and the band, and they're going to lead us in worship. Before we do that, let's pray together that God will be with us. Gosh, we're seeing big changes around the world, not only the pandemic, but elections. And like never before, we just want the peace and the presence and the power of God to be at work. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to celebrate your goodness and share your goodness with the world, with society. And I pray, God, that as we step into worship and as we listen and as we engage, that you will bless every individual who is watching this service online. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome to Willow Park Church. Wherever you are watching, we are glad you are with us. We're all together in, in that way, praising the Lord and just being here in his presence. The light of our lives. Hey, John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. 
In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, you, you, me, you, all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth.
to save us, Jesus. Oh, we were so in need of saving and we still are. May your light shine in every corner of this world, in every corner of our own hearts, wherever there is darkness. We bring your light with us to share in what we just sang about, hope, joy, love, peace, and praises rise to you.
return to you In your kingdom Broken lives are made new You make us new Cause when we see you We find strength to face the day In your presence All our fears are washed away Washed away full of love and beautiful. Thank you that we're never alone when we have you. We have you in our lives. That you're pleasing that I 
forward with the rest of this service, God, that you would just teach us something new about yourself. God, I pray that we'd be humble, that we'd be willing to receive from you what you might have for us today. 
would you just bless the rest of our time? Um, would you pour your anointing over it? Um, and may we be fully aware of you um, and your presence today. Yeah, we love you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. What a perfect way to finish. Declaring that you are a good, good father. How do we know that God is good in our lives? Well, we know that God is good because he's restored that intimacy, that relationship between us and God. Let me remind you something. Human beings were created to have an intimate relationship with God. But of course, what happened at the fall was this. In that place, we lost that innocence. When you read the opening chapters of the book of Genesis, you see the innocence that there was in humanity, Adam and Eve. There was a beauty, there was an innocence, there was a purity. Their characters were absolutely pure. Along with that innocence came, came an intimacy. The Lord came and walked with them in the call of the evening. What a beautiful poetic line that is, that the Lord came and walked with them. So they had that intimate of relationship that was present. But then, of course, rebellion came, paradise was lost, and that separation came, and humanity experienced the pain of our fallen nature and the pain of of sickness and agony within the world. And we see that played out in our geopolitics. We see it played out in our own families. We see the results of man's selfishness and man's sin being played out. And yet Christ came to bring us back to God. He came to set us free. He came and died upon the cross. So let's take the bread And let's pray together. And Lord Jesus, we remember that you gave yourself for us upon the cross. And you paid the price. We remember that your body was broken for us. And we thank you for the absolute, ultimate sacrifice you paid upon the cross. Blessed be your name. The body of Christ, broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of him. The blood of Jesus that takes away the sins of the world. Takes away shame. Takes away guilt. Takes away the separation. It gives us access to the Father. To bring our prayers before the very throne of God. All achieved by the blood of Christ that takes away the sins of the world. Drink it in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. His blood, his life was a substitute for us so that we could receive life.
the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, it's time to uh, move to uh, respective uh, campuses and to hear the messages from the south and from here at Highway 33. Uh, thank you for your generosity in giving. Thank you for the way that you're clicking and donating and giving your tithes and offerings. We're so grateful. And can I encourage you to keep praying about uh, your support uh, for the ministry and for the mission of Willow Park Church. Thank you so much. And uh, here is the Willow One News. Hello, Willow Park Church. My name is Courtney. Whether you're joining us from church online or one of our dwell gatherings, welcome and here's your family news. Just a reminder that our annual general meeting is happening today at 3 p.m. at Church at 33 and Church Online. If you've already registered, you should have already received a confirmation email. We look forward to seeing you there. Parents and kids, you are invited to a super fun family event happening at all three of our locations this December. Join us in Rutland, the Mission, and Lake Country on December 18th, 19th, and 20th for gingerbread and a manger. We'll be playing games, having treats, singing carols, and of course, making gingerbread houses. Cost is $10 per child, and you must pre-register. You can pre-register today at willowparkchurch.com gingerbread. GLOW, our youth group for grades 9 to 12, happens each Wednesday from 7 to 9 p.m. Juice, for grades 6 to 8, happens Thursday night from 6.30 to 8 p.m. This week is our big group night, and youth will need to pre-register before they can attend. Visit cahoots.ca for more information. As we all know, COVID has impacted the way we do things around Willow Park Church, and this Christmas season will not look the same as in previous years. Instead of doing Living Nativity, this year we hope you will get involved in our Gift of Christmas initiative. The Gift of Christmas is a three-part mission to bring the love of Jesus and the true meaning of Christmas to our community. We will be doing this in three ways. The first way will be by filling stockings with gifts for people who are vulnerable and alone this Christmas. The second way will be by serving, and we will invite you to join in, helping others in need. The third way will be through singing. We are currently working on a way to safely bring the sounds and music of Christmas to communities around Kelowna and Lake Country. First things first, we need stockings. If you are a sewer, then please pick up a sewing pack with detailed instructions at the end of your service in order to sew five Christmas stockings. To learn more about how you can get involved with the gift of Christmas, please visit willowparkchurch.com slash gift of Christmas. We all love Christmas. I adore Christmas. I love the time of year, even from a small child, rushing downstairs. There are the presents. Opening them, our family would celebrate together. You have had different rhythms in your life and in your family about how you celebrate the coming of the King. And that's amazing. And Willow Park Church has also had a different rhythm. Over 29 years, we have put on Living Nativity as a gift for the community, but that's been suspended. And we can't do it. 
And we don't know what Christmas is going to look like, but we do know that with all of our energy and all of our ability to volunteer, we can love our community by giving gifts to our community. So rather than inviting people to come in, it's time for us to go out. I'm reminded of the words of Matthew that said, hey, you were hungry, did you feed me? You were thirsty, did you give me a cup of water? What did you do for me? You know that so well. Well, we want to do something for our community and we want to do three things. First of all, what we want to do is create gifts for our community through creating numerous stockings to give out. Secondly, what we want to do is that we want to create opportunities where you can go and you can serve. And thirdly, we want to sing. We want to go out and share carols with our community, as it were, take living nativity out. So, this is what we're going to do. We are going to create stockings. And we're going to fill those stockings. And as we fill those stockings, we're going to then distribute them in our community to projects that need support, to people that are alone, Anywhere where there's need and opportunity, we're going to sew a stocking, we're going to fill a stocking, and then we're going to share a stocking with people in our community. I'm really excited about the opportunity to serve our community in this way. And you've probably got some questions about dates. What we want to aim to do is get the fabric to your family and your friends, individuals, by the 8th, around that time. And then after that, we want to receive back the, um, the stockings by the 22nd. All your beautiful stockings will be hung around the church, around our buildings. And on the first Sunday of Advent, the 29th, people can take those stockings away with a little list of how to fill them and what to put in them. And having done that, they will then be returned by the 8th of December. And then we begin the big mission on December the 13th to give them out to the community. That's the rough ideas. There'll be more details coming, but it's exciting. So get involved and let's look out and give back to our community. That's all for your family news. Thanks and enjoy your service. Scripture for this uh, for this morning 
Good morning, everybody online, and uh, welcome to Willow Park Church South from the location in the Mission. This is our 11 o'clock service, but you might be watching this at some point in the future, and uh, we're just glad that you are joining us. We have a room full here, at least when I say full, as full as we're allowed to get it, and then we have a, a coffee lounge full of people as well, and, uh, and you're joining us online, so this is good church family. We're just we're grateful that you're here. So today... Uh, we just want to give a minute or two at the beginning of our service just to remember uh, what we were remembering this week, which is uh, Remembrance Day. And so we're wearing our poppies, and, and it's an important day, especially being part of the Commonwealth. And, and obviously me uh, from Britain, very cognizant of World War I and World War II and, and everything that is going on right now. And so today is our day to have uh, some remembrance over the brave, the past and the present. And there's so much that I could say. And, and thankfully, one of the wonderful things about technology these days is that we do get lots of opportunity to see things online, reminders of the amazing bravery of not just those who, are, uh, who have gone before us in World War I, World War II, and the other conflicts in the last hundred years or so, but also those who are on the front line, whether it be health workers or emergency service or the military uh, the Air Force, the Navy, um, people who are rescuing people in the seas, all the emergency services. This is our day to just to pause and pray a thanks and also pray for people who are, uh, who are putting themselves at risk to do that. And so we're, I wanted to read out part of the very famous poem from Colonel John McRae, who was a Canadian soldier, uh, doctor, and while serving in Belgium, and I'm sure you know the story, saw the field of poppies, which is where we get our symbol from today. And so I'm going to read this, um, to read this short poem or part of the poem, and then we're going to stop for a minute of silence, and I'll pray, and then we'll jump into the word. In Flanders Fields, maybe you want to close your eyes while I, uh, while I read this poem and just reflect on the words as we go. It's only a short stanza. So, In Flanders Fields, the poppies blow between the crosses row on row that mark our place and in the sky, the larks still bravely singing fly, scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago, we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow. Loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders' fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you from failing hands we throw. The torch be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders' fields.
Father, we thank you that we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us, who gave their lives so that we could enjoy the freedom of today. And Lord, as we've just read in this poem, Lord, I pray that we would continue to vehemently hold the torch high, that we would remember and be thankful. And Lord, we pray especially for the emergency services and the various parts of our society, Lord, who are here to look after us and to protect us. Lord, as we set aside just this short minute, Lord, I pray this minute would just echo into the rest of our lives as we remember and are thankful. And Lord, I pray for those who, uh, who know you, who are Christians in the forces and in the emergency services, that Lord, that they, as they stand strong in faith, and also stand strong for our culture and society, that, Lord, that they would be able to find great comfort in you. So, Lord, as we put a time aside, just this short minute, Lord, I pray that, God, we would continue to remember for the rest of today and this week as we wear these poppies in remembrance of the brave. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Well, it's, uh, it's a joy to be able to share the Word of God with you. We are part nine of a series that we've been working on now uh, for quite a while. And some of the, just a very quick background as to why we're doing this is as Christians, we often talk about how we want to be like Jesus or be Jesus in our culture. And, uh, and that really resonates with Jesus' heart for us because he said, come follow me. And when those people heard those words uh, all those times 2,000 years ago, they knew exactly what Jesus was doing. He was calling them to come and disciple, be a disciple of his, to be literally a student or, as Dallas Willard would say, an apprentice of Jesus. So what did that mean? Well, in that culture, at that time, if you were a young boy, then but you will have learned great chunks of the Bible, the first five books of the Bible, by the age of 10. And then if you're accepted, if you do good enough, basically, rather than going back to work in your father's industry, whether it be fishing or, or uh, construction or whatever it might be, you would then be invited to learn the rest of the Old Testament. As it stands today, the whole of the Old Testament, prophets, the poems, the history books, you'd learn that off by heart. And as Sarah reminded us uh, a few weeks ago, it's not like they could take apps home and books home. They would have to do it by hearing from scrolls. It was an amazing accomplishment. And by 17, the cream of the cream, the top of the top, uh, would then be invited to then uh, be, go and disciple with rabbis. And these rabbis were the heroes of the time. It's hard for us to understand how a rabbi would be like a rock star or a major internet influencer of the time, but they really were. And the invite was clear. Come be with me. Come do what I do and watch what I watch and learn from me so that you would become like me. And so much so that at that time, as after they'd been a few years with their rabbi, that other people would be able to spend time with them and know who their rabbi was, because they would talk like their rabbi, they would act like their rabbi, even the inflection of their voice would be like their rabbi. Their, rea- their, their whole life would have been lived alongside. Literally, they would go where they go. And so when Jesus says to us as Christians, uh, in our faith, we're, Jesus is saying, come, let, come apprentice with me, be like me. 
And so we ask the question, well, what were some of the disciplines, some of the habits in Jesus' life that we could bring into our everyday 2020 life so that we could become like Jesus? And, uh, and we very quickly saw there were some simple uh, habits, and simple uh, in, in theory, sometimes hard to place into our lives, that we could immediately start doing. We say, right, I can immediately start fasting. I can start praying. I can start uh, meditating on Scripture. I can start doing these things so that I can become like my rabbi Jesus. And that is the essence of Christianity, to become more and more like Jesus. And so we've come through the weeks. And last week, uh, Luke did a great job of sharing about fasting and how fasting can draw us closer to God. And today we're going to look at another habit Uh, that really every one of us wants to do, recognizes the importance of it, and yet is incredibly difficult to do in our culture. Now, I need to add, this is a very topical sermon. What do I mean by that? Well, our practice, outside of COVID, coincidentally, and it's not because of COVID we're doing this, you know, our stage is dismantled. Those of you who are online, you can see the nice, tidy part of it. Um, We've got a dismantled drum kit and usually our band, those of you south is your home church. You know, we we do a full-on band on a Sunday morning and we work through Scripture often word by word, verse by verse, through a book or through a chapter. That is my desire. That's what I enjoy doing. But this series has been more of a how-to, a bit more topical. And then we're going to jump back into more expositional preaching in the new year. So this morning, what is this new discipline? Some references for you to look at, some books. Uh, I've mentioned a lot. There's uh, Dallas Willard is an excellent author to read around apprenticing. This is his term, Jesus. Uh, Richard Foster, The Celebration of Discipline. That is also an excellent book. And then also if you read through or listen through some of the messages, I've pinpointed specific books that I highly recommend that you read. And really what I'm doing is, is I'm kind of regurgitating a lot of this reading that is over a thousand years of practice of what Jesus did, how can we live this out in our modern culture. And the exciting thing is, is that we can do this. We can do these disciplines, although it means some sacrifice on our part. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing this one with you because I really believe today you can start this and see immediate fruit in your life. Before we get there, I just want to tell you something that happened yesterday in, uh, on my uh, Sabbath. And for those of you who uh, kind of go, really, he has a Sabbath? Absolutely. Love my Sabbath. Uh, preached on it a few weeks ago. Highly recommend you listen to it. It's really changed our family's life and my life. Saturday is my Sabbath. And so at 9 o'clock yesterday morning, after changing a tire on Sarah's car that isn't very Sabbathy, didn't bring me much joy and delight, but you know, whatever. Um, I went for a walk with Zoe, my daughter, and so we were walking down Mission Creek, and it was just this beautiful, those of you out and about at that time, it was a gorgeous day, blue sky, beautiful fall, autumn day, the colors on the leaves, it was great, and so we were taking pictures, and and we were having some fun and a bit of a laugh, and, and, and it was great. And so we were walking back towards Starbucks on the other side of Mission Creek, and there's this long straight that is just gorgeous right now. The trees are amazing. And I noticed Zoe pulling out her phone to take a picture of what she saw. And, I mean, it would be a good... In fact, you go on Instagram, you can see, not now, you can see the picture, uh, Zoe Madden. You can see the picture that she took. But I thought it would be funny... To, I saw her pull a phone out, 
And I thought, I'm going to run and get into the picture and just do something goofy so you take a picture of me. So I just started off at a sprint really quickly. Uh, like, you'd be amazed at how fast, actually, I need to say. Uh, I just started sprinting to get into the picture. Now, for those of you who know me well, you know I'm a little hard of hearing. I have hearing aids, and, and, and I don't hear everything around me particularly well, especially on Mission Creek. So I'm, I tend not to hear bikers, which can get into some trouble. And what I didn't hear, just as I started off on my sprint, was this young lady, athletic lady, immediately came alongside me. She was running, and I started running alongside her for about five or ten meters. Suddenly, she's being accompanied by a, a middle-aged man in a ski jacket running alongside of her. And I, I had no clue. And Zoe was just like horrified. And, and if you look, you'll actually see the picture of me bending down, laughing so hard. I was crying, laughing because, you know, it makes a beautiful picture. I didn't get arrested, but she must have thought, what on earth is going on? And it's a great moment. It was a memory. And so Zoe's got the memory on her phone. Love that. I like technology. One of the things that's come through in this series is this kind of idea that maybe, that, you know, like I hate technology. I love technology. Something amazing happened in 2007. The iPhone. It came out in 2007, and, and historians are now saying the year 2007 is as, is as significant in the history of our world as the year that the Gutenberg Press was first used in the Middle Ages. It's an amazing invention. That same year, Facebook became uh, uh, accessible to people, and then Twitter was that year. The App Store uh, was born, and apps, and, and our world has never been the same. I have my phone right here because I, was, I have a, a timer going, which some of you would be surprised at because normally you think I just ignore all time when I'm preaching. But I do. I keep an eye on it. I've got one up there as well, uh, which I ignore. Um, but technology is wonderful. But our lives have been radically impacted, radically impacted by what we have in our pocket. We have the uh, information that is just profound in our pockets. Information at that one point, if you're as old as me or a little bit older, because I remember a large part of my life not having a phone. I remember we had two children without a cell phone. I had a pager, just because I wanted a pager, basically. Um, The school I taught in had a phone that you could borrow that was the size of a brick that you could go on field trips with. So in case a kid broke their leg, because before that, a kid broke their leg, oh well. You know, can't contact anybody. But now phones are everywhere. And there's nothing wrong with that. Apart from, instead of waking up to nothing, we now wake up to our phone. Instead of waiting quietly for the bus to come or the train to come or waiting quietly in traffic in our cars, we have a phone. Boredom is a thing of the past. Kind of. We have a phone that is constantly reminding us that we need to keep up, look better, do better. We've always got news to check, emails to peruse, text messages to write, podcasts to listen to, Instagrams to gram, Snapchats to snap. It's constant, constant distraction, constant busyness. And we squeeze in and stress out and shout aloud at times as we go about our normal tasks, whereas before gentleness and quietness was the norm. 
When I used to go, to, when I went to university, there was these times of travel where I would sit and read because I had nothing to plug into and, and listen to. Or uh, sorry, well, apart from a Walkman that was the size of a house, um, you know that that's that that was the norm. Quietness and boredom was part of life, and that was okay. You know, this busyness. We get frustrated when we line up. We're scanning for the smallest queue or lineup at Sabon. We get frustrated if the lineups are long. We get into the 15 items or less and we're scanning other people's baskets to see whether they really, that doesn't look like 15 items or less. You're in the wrong line pile and you get stressed. Stop lines are no longer stop lines. They're roll lines. There's more fights that happen because people get frustrated lining up. It's just crazy. Busyness, distraction, everyone and everything is under pressure to go faster, do more, and be distracted as we go about it. Klaus Schwab, the founder and president of the World Economic Forum, said this, We are moving from a world in which the big eat the small to one in which the fast eat the slow. But do the fastest and more efficient and distracted and busy always win? You look at Instagram or you look at all the uh, Facebook and the answer would be a resounding yes. Absolutely. Go harder, go longer, go faster, work harder, be better. Go, go, go and you will beat the world and be the best, be the most influential and have the most possessions and power. That's the message. Go faster, be better. Carl Honor in his book, which is an excellent book, I highly recommend it. The book's called Slow. Um, he wrote this book because one day, he's not a Christian guy, but he'd figured out his life was so busy, he'd worked out how he could tell his children whole stories in one minute or less at bedtime. Because he just didn't have the time to read them the whole story. Let's get it in in a minute. And then he was convicted about that and wrote a whole book. It's a fascinating book called Slow. He wrote this. Falling behind at work, get a quicker internet connection. No time for the novel you got at Christmas, learn to speed read. Diet not working, try liposuction or, or intermittent fasting, whichever you prefer. Um, too busy to cook, buy a microwave. And yet some things cannot, should not be sped up. They take time. They need slowness. When you accelerate things that should not be accelerated, when you forget how to slow down, there is a price to pay. A few weeks ago, I talked about taking rest and Sabbath. And I was specifically talking about times of rest and days of rest called the Sabbath. Today, I want to ask the question, what about the rest of the time? Are you living in a world that is so fast and moving so quickly that you can't get from your home to your work without checking your phone because that text must be watched or read illegally? Is email a constant? Is the constant pull towards busyness and distraction taking over your world? Because as Carl Honor has said, there is a price to pay. The new phrase now is turbo capitalism, where you serve the economy rather than the economy serving you. Stress, insomnia, migraines, hypertension, asthma, and gastrointestinal trouble are all marks of the busy and the distracted. Death by overwork, a term in in Japan called kuroshi, where you actually die because you're working too much because your body is not wired or designed to go at the pace that it is going at. Lack of exercise and poor eating, self-medicating, drowsiness at the wheel causes more deaths than drunk driving now, exercise injuries in the gym because you need to get thinner and better and faster, quicker. Let's do shortcut 
to healthiness. That's the world that we live in. Family knife now has been resorted to texting one another in the same house or at worst across the same table. That's the world we live in. And you can root that back to 2007, which is why historians say it's such a significant time. But is that the way God created us to be? Is that the norm? Even common sense says this is not the way it should be. Burnout, as it used to be called, nervous breakdown, adrenal fatigue or failure. All that is combined with that. It used to be a specialism of the 40s. The, the, not the 1940s, the 40-year-olds plus. And as, as we go on, it's actually getting younger and younger and younger. So now our teenagers, our teenagers are suffering from burnout because they're in a world that tells them that they have to be bigger, not bigger, thinner, better, fitter than everybody else. And woe betide you if you don't fit into that in some way. You have to be better all the time. That's the message of our culture. Be better. Go harder. Go faster. And I'm going to distract you to the point where you will be guilted into that. Anxiety, upset stomachs, headaches, insomnia, depression, eating disorders, self-harm, and suicide are the mark of this new generation. And you'd be amazed at the age in which it starts. Jesus said, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? What will it profit a woman? What will it profit a teenager? What will it profit a preteen? If he or she gains the whole world in their phone and all the distractions that it includes and yet forfeit their soul. Because trust me, it leaves a mark on the soul. Not just on the mind, not just on the physical, not just on all the things that we can plainly see, but the very core that makes you who you are, your soul, you will lose it. You will lose the ability to connect and come close to the creator God who made you, who himself put a rhythm into life night and day and rest and work and time and silence and solitude. That was his rhythm as well. And what we have is a world perfectly designed, perfectly designed to draw us away from God, to draw us away from the creator, to draw us away from the gospel, to draw us away from Jesus. It is perfect. Your time and distraction have been monetized where everybody wants it. You do not own your phone. Your your phone, trust me, owns you. And all the companies that are in it, And we always come. I come with an excuse as to, well, yes, but. So here's the check. I don't want to lose my soul. I don't want to have children that lose their souls. I don't want to run a business that loses its soul. I don't want to to be part of a church that is so distracted it's losing its soul, that is being drawn away from God, drawn away from our families, and drawn away from ourselves. Ronald Ronheiser, the writer, said, We, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It is not that we have anything against God, depth and spirit. We would like these. It's just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. Pathological busyness, distraction and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. Notice, 1999, pre-2007. We feel distant from God. 
And so when Jesus says that it's costing our souls, what he's describing is a distance and a disconnect from God. And as Christians, and I know I'm not speaking just to Christians, but for Christians, this is the very essence of who we say we are. The mark of our identity is as Jesus' followers. And the one that we say we follow, we are distanced from because we are leaning into the distraction. And it is so insidious and so subtle that people look at you strange if you say you're not busy. Really? You need to get a job. Busyness is a mark of pride in our society. And yet God has a different way. So the question has to be asked, what is the better way? What can we see in Jesus' life that is an antidote and mitigates against the risk of being distanced from God? That allows us as parents to teach our children a better way. That in the hope that they will then go and live out that better way and tell their children. Because this is 2,000 years worth of teaching. And I'm standing on the shoulders of those that point to this better way. What is the better way? What is so simple and so beautiful in its essence that it's almost impossible for us to fathom that we can do? Because it has to be more complicated. Is there an app for that? No, there isn't. In fact, it's nothing. It's nothing. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. The Greek word for solitary place there is aromas. It literally means a solitary place that also provides needed quiet. Needed quiet. It's quiet. The discipline is silence and solitude. It's quiet. It's nothing. And it's impossible for some. (laughs) But yet, every one of us recognizes we need it. To be able to draw away like Jesus did, to habitually withdraw away to the quiet place, to the, the place where there is no one, where there's a, there's a quietness. See, Jesus had spent 40 years in the wilderness, same word, and he comes back and then immediately goes back to, he comes back to some ministry for a short period, and then this scripture is in withdrawing just a day or two after being in the wilderness. This was a habit that Jesus had. Luke 5 verse 16, he says, but he would often withdraw to desolate places and pray. Yeah, but this is Jesus. This is, I'm living in 2020. You don't know what my world is like. You don't know the pressures. You don't know the hours that I'm working. You don't know what my family's like. You don't know what my baby's like. You don't know what my husband or wife is like. You don't know what my world, my children, the pressures is like. And then you layer on COVID. It's fine for Jesus because he shuffled around in sandals all day. He had lots of time on his hands, right? Actually, if you read the scriptures and you read the gospels, you'll actually find that Jesus potentially was the busiest man that has ever walked this world. You see, in the middle of this busyness, Mark chapter 6, verse 31, he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place. He's talking to the disciples and rest a while. For many were coming and going. They had no leisure even to eat. You know you're busy when you're not eating because you just don't have the time. You don't have the time to eat. Even when you're busy. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus' antidote to not having enough time was to go and rest. Yeah, but Jesus, I've not got time. Yeah, I know. 
Let's go into a quiet place together. Yeah, but you, I don't think you understand. I haven't got time to do that. I know, which is why. Let's go into a quiet place together. And it's not, well, you go and do something fun. Don't go and do something relaxing. Maybe do something that brings you joy and delight like the Sabbath. All those are good things. But he specifically says, come and rest in the quiet place. Matthew 14, verse 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place, same word, by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. You think paparazzi are bad for celebrities today? These are people who are desperate. And in them, there's the desperation that is bred out of health and sickness and dying and starvation. And in Jesus, they see hope and help and miracles. So they were everywhere all the time, constantly pushing against Jesus, literally looking for an answer and a miracle. And then later on, and this is important, I want you to remember this phrase, after he had dismissed the crowds, He went up on a mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. He dismissed the crowds. He dismissed the crowds. There's a point, friends, that I love you enough to tell you that you must learn to dismiss the crowd. I need to learn how to dismiss the crowd, unapologetically dismiss the crowd. What does that look like? For me, it means that I have to not do the work that is constant, For me, it means I have to switch off my email. I have to switch off the text. Not just on a Sabbath, but in life, I have to learn the rhythm of withdrawing alone to spend time with Jesus and unapologetically dismiss the crowds. Even when the crowds are pressing, literally pressing in on your world, maybe it's a business that you own, a family that you have, a situation that you're involved in, circumstances that are continually pressing against you. You need to dismiss the crowds and take a step to the lonely place. The lonely place. He made the time. He made the time. And this was Jesus. So the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude has been practiced for over 2,000 years since New Testament time and a lot longer in the Old Testament. This practice, this discipleship, this discipline, this habit of the apprentice. And Dallas Willard does an amazing job of talking about silence and solitude in his work, constantly in his work. This practice, this habit is by far the most important thing that you can do as a Christian. If you are professing to be a Jesus follower and not habitually putting time aside in silence and solitude to listen and pray and read the scripture, then you are, as we read, going towards spiritual oblivion. You cannot be a follower of Jesus. It is paramount to saying, yes, Jesus, I will be your apprentice. Imagine 2,000 years ago. I will be your, uh, you are my rabbi, but I'm going to stay over here while you go over there and travel and do your thing. I'll be over here doing my thing. But yeah, I'm an apprentice. It's nonsense. And so we have to look at the evidence, not only from Jesus, but inside of life as well. There comes a point when we have to switch off The noise. We have to switch off the noise. There's a time to speak and there's a time to keep quiet. We love the idea of quiet. We like there's something immediately that bombs the soul when you go quiet. 
But at the same time, those of us that are more extrovert, and you'd be surprised, I'm more introvert than extrovert. I might come over on here as an extrovert, but for those of you who know me well, I'm not really that much of an extrovert in real life. Um, in fact, just as an aside, preaching is great for introverts because preachers don't actually need to necessarily connect. <laughs> There's a crowd, throw it out there, off you go, I'm going to be back here by myself in a corner. So a lot of preachers are actually introverts. Um, I don't know why I shared that with you. You can write that down for future reference. Um, but the, the, there's this desire for quiet while also it repulses us. Because when you turn down the external noise, when you switch off, when you put away, when you don't listen to the noise, when you stop speaking, you turn down the external noise, the internal noise increases. And that's the scary noise. Because in that noise, we come face to face with who we really are. In the quietness of the night, we come face to face with the state of our own souls. When everything is switched off and it's just you and your thoughts, that's scary. That's profoundly difficult for many to listen to. We overvalue talking and podcasts and discussion and noise and music. Everywhere we go, we need to fill in the atmosphere because oftentimes we're afraid of what the quietness will bring. Because the quietness brings the whisper of the reality of what is actually going on inside. And so we avoid it, many of us. And I know for many introverts, this is just the best thing in the world. But even introverts plug in and listen and fill with noise. Perhaps we avoid it because the internal, internal noise just gets louder. I've been enjoying listening to Hillsong Young and Free, which is a, a, a part of the Hillsong ministry that's specifically to youth and young adults. And they recently released a song. And the line in the song says this, I don't want to be on my phone, but I don't want to be alone. See, we know what we need to do, but we don't like the outcome of what that might bring. Because the outcome of that is that when we silence ourselves before God and we switch everything off and we turn the noise down, then what we do is we have, we give ourselves over to God and God points out the reality of our souls. And not only do we come face to face with him and the cross and the gospel, but we come face to face with ourselves. But the beauty is, is when we do that in the presence of God, yes, you'll be exposed, but you're exposed in a safe place. You're exposed in a healing place. You get to hear his voice. A few weeks ago when I was speaking from Psalm 23, we went through Psalm 23 bit by bit. It was a great, through the summer, I loved it. And at one point I was talking about different shepherds and how the world is filled with voices and shepherds. Come follow me. When you silence those shepherds, the good shepherd speaks. When you silence the noise, the good shepherd steps in and says, yes, I will make you Lie down by still waters. I will lead you towards green pastures. But we've got some work to do. We've got some work to do. As Henry Nouwen says, silence and solitude is the furnace of transformation. Wow. I wish I could come up with phrases like that. The furnace of transformation? Are you kidding me? That's amazing. 
Because in that moment, when we quiet ourselves before the Lord, when we withdraw and do what Jesus did, when we silence ourselves, when we find quietness and solitude, we come face to face with ourselves and face to face with our God, something profound happens. Conviction floods in. It happened to me this morning. I, I said to the family, I said, I'm just going to go and spend some time in, uh, I call it S&S. And then I realized I was preaching, I call it SAS. That sounds cool. We'll do that. So I'm going to go and have some SAS, some silence and solitude. And I sat in our bedroom in the comfy chair and I closed my eyes and I crossed my hands and I quieted myself. And I started just taking some nice breaths because breathing's good. Jesus invented it. There's nothing wrong with deep breaths. We get awfully upset. Ooh, it sounds new agey. No, it's biology. It's just breathing. So I took some breathing and then I just started saying, thank you, Jesus. Love you, Lord. Thank you for this opportunity to pray and uh, just quiet myself. And immediately conviction. I just felt like there was something that I needed to confess. So I quieted myself and I said, Lord, what, what, is, what is that? And immediately, I knew what it was. And I prayed and I said, Lord, I'm sorry that this week I confess that I have sought the approval of man or rather than believing the truth that you already approve of me and that's sufficient. And I'm sorry. And I thank Jesus for his sacrifice on the cross. So conviction leads to confession. Confession leads to closeness. And closeness leads to change. The furnace of transformation started in silence and solitude. And we have to do this as Christians. Because what the beauty is, is when you put time aside on a regular basis for SAS, for silence and solitude, then this transformation happens. But when you get up out of your chair or you finish your walk or whatever it might look like for you, you'll find that the tyranny of speed and distraction and busyness quiets and submits to God himself. And you go into the day having been invigorated and strengthened to actually face that. So what was attractive on the phone suddenly isn't attractive because you found a more ultimate and beautiful place first thing in the morning. And your mind and the Spirit of God brings it back to your mind all the time. So that which is attractive becomes less attractive because you have put time aside with the Lord every morning. It sets you up for the world. It gives you energy and it opens your eyes. We have to take this seriously. It's by far the most important thing that we can do as Christians. Think of it this way. Sarah and I celebrate our 27th anniversary in a couple of weeks' time. We've been together longer than that, I guess, um, for a lot longer than that. And uh, the only way that our marriage stays as close as it is, is because we have silence and solitude with one another. We have quiet with one another. There's connection with one another. We can go on a long-distance drive, and we can just be in silence, and that's okay because we have that connection. But at the same time, we need to make effort in order to make sure that gets reinforced and strengthened. We would have no marriage apart from in name if we spent no time with one another. And we have to discipline ourselves to do it. That's not a reluctant discipline. That's just planned discipline. How much more? God the Father, who gave his Son, all man, all divine, who died on the cross for my sin, took my punishment that I truly deserve, that the one who loved me so much that he said, yes, you, that that relationship is sure. That's what my theology says. You don't lose that. You can't get unregenerated. But I can lose 
my connection and fellowship with him. Thomas Merton, and please forgive the archaic language, he wasn't very politically correct back then. So when you read men, think mankind, humanity, and don't write me emails. Uh, Thomas Merton, not all men are called to be hermits. Although right now that seems kind of attractive to me, I've got to be honest. But all men need enough silence and solitude in their own lives to enable the deep inner voice of their own true self to be heard at least occasionally. When that inner voice is not heard, when man cannot attain to the spiritual peace that comes from being perfectly at one with his true self, his life is always miserable and exhausting. For he cannot go on happily for long unless he is in contact with the springs of spiritual life which are hidden in the depths of his own soul. If man is constantly exiled from his own home, locked out of his own spiritual solitude, he ceases to be a true person. He no longer lives as a man. When you become a Christian, the Spirit of God dwells in you. The old is gone, the new has come. There's total transformation. So that inner man is now changed. You have a new nature. You need this spiritual spring of life on a regular basis. If you don't get it, remember how that quote says you'll start losing your soul, that the, that the outcome is dire? Really quickly, we start listening to lies and not truth about others and yourself. Internal conversation ramps up with lies. We speak, seek approval from others before we seek it from God. And trust me, as a child of God, you're already approved through Jesus. We live off other people's experience of God. In other words, we turn to podcasts and sermons and, and music and worship in order to try and garner connection from God rather than sitting in silence and enjoying that connection with Him for yourself. We avoid community, biblical community, relationship community. We isolate and pull back from others. Our priorities get out of sync we avoid life-giving activities like prayer and Bible reading and, and all the good spiritual disciplines. And instead, we look to other things that the world gives us in order to try and self-medicate what is going on inside. We listen to temptation and follow its lead. We react to criticism really quickly, and we lose our tempers very readily. Symptoms of not, and the, and the list could go on. So regardless of your age, Regardless of your stage of life, regardless of whether you're introvert, extrovert, little ones, not little ones. You can have little babies, toddlers, hanging off every leg, shuffling through life, pulling your hair out. You still need silence and solitude. You need to carve this out because this is your spiritual lifeline with the creator God who loves you and cares for you. If you have a business that you're running or whether you are working for a business, whatever your stage of life, silence and solitude has to be a center core habit that you develop and practice in your life. It will not fit into your world. You have to fit into his. You have to find time alone. This is not a legalistic thing. This is Moses turning aside to the burning bush because you recognize that there's life and supernatural power in it. So how do you do it? I think, like I said, I probably could have saved a lot of time and said, hey guys, it's really good to get alone with God. And you'd go, yes. And I could have saved a whole kind of argument. <laughs> so how do you do it? 
The first thing I want to show you, and, and this is going to be very quickly, there's just seven things. We're going to go through them super quick. Set a reasonable goal. If it's been a long time since you have spent time with God in silence and solitude, then don't go from that to kind of, you know, getting up at three o'clock in the morning and aiming to pray for every missionary you know up until for the next four hours. Don't go from that to that. It's not, you're going to fail. So just be gentle with yourself. Look at your stage of life. Maybe you've got little ones. Maybe you've got, you're running a business. Whatever it might be, whatever stage you're at, set a reasonable goal. So it could be 10 minutes two or three times a week that you sit quietly before the Lord in quietness and place your attention upon him. Maybe it's every day. Maybe you've doing it a few times a week. So now start doing it every day. Maybe you already do it every day and you're really concerned at the thought that there might be people in the room that don't do it every day. So the first thing you need to do is increase your time every day and then seek forgiveness for being judgmental about everybody else. Just spend longer with him every day. Identify a time. I'm just going to throw it out there. There is something powerful. I've got no Bible for this. Just experience says this. Something supernatural about getting up early in the morning and spending time with Jesus. It just sets you on your way. And you're like, oh, no. Like, try it. Last thing at night, giving your best to Jesus. Ooh. Maybe that just doesn't work because your baby always seems to get up before you. So nap time. Put time aside to spend time with Jesus. Now I know nap time can also mean nap time for parents, and that's a good thing. And naps are good. We pre- I preached about Jesus napping. Naps are good. But identify a time. Maybe it's a lunch time if you're at work every day. Set a time. Identify a time. Choose a place. Maybe it's a really comfy place in your house somewhere, somewhere quiet. Maybe it's a walk. Maybe it's you just sat in your car. Whatever it might be, choose a place. And then most importantly, put away your distractions. Switch them off. Throw them in a closet. Skip them across the lake. I don't care. Whatever it might be, get rid of the distraction. Switch off. And for some of you, that will be a major challenge. Switch it off. As I said very lovingly and caringly as a good pastor a few weeks ago, you're not that important. God's got it. For a few minutes, you can switch off. Put away the distraction and start with a prayer. Maybe you recite Psalm 23. Maybe it's the Lord's Prayer. Just gently, just start with a prayer and immediately your mind will wander. Because it happens. It happens. We, we get distracted. It's okay. Be gentle with yourself. Pull it back on track. Maybe repeat the scripture a few more times and gently pray. Remember, this is just maybe five or ten minutes a few times a week. And then enjoy his presence. He's close to you. I'm going to talk more about this next week. He's near to you. And then pray some more. And maybe it's just a few minutes. Maybe it's an hour. Maybe it's a whole day. Maybe you put time two or three days aside to do this. Just to enjoy his presence. I can promise you that you will find a rootedness in your soul that you hadn't realized is there before. And a passion for Jesus gets enlivened. And you will walk out into this busy and chaotic and distracted world far more equipped, far more peaceful, less anxiety, and more strength than you have before reaching for whatever self-medication you might go for. Psalm 62 in closing. Just let these words just... Like this is a great psalm to, um, to memorize. Psalm 62, verse 1. Psalm 62, verse 1. My soul 
finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. Just think about that. My salvation comes from Him. Through the cross? Absolutely. Through the gospel? We're a gospel-centered church? Absolutely. But your daily salvation comes from Him. Not from your phone, not from your emails, not from your friends, not from your family, not from your hard work or your money or anything else. From Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. A fortress is a place you run to when you're in trouble. I always think Lord of the Rings. You run for that fortress when the Orkai are at your heels. I will not... How nerdy am I? I will not be shaken. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. So here's my prayer for you. I pray that this week that you will set a time aside, you will set a plan, and you'll set a few minutes aside to sit quietly in the presence of the King. The King who loves you. The King who gave His life for you. The King who is in control. And you submit to Him And you allow him to speak to you and then go into the world with less distraction and busyness. That's city changing. Every day of church family putting time aside to do that, that's amazing. And that's my encouragement to you. That's my encouragement to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word is clear when it says that you are everywhere, that you are around us, you're above us, below us. Thank you, Father, for your love for us. And Lord, I pray for these good people who are in the room and who are listening at home or listening online at some other time, that Lord, I pray that we would make this habit of yours part of our daily routine. Sit and enjoy and spend time with you. And Lord, I pray this week some amazing things will happen, that some sins will be confessed, forgiveness will flood in, and that Jesus, that you will be so close to the people. Lord, that is my prayer, that God, we would be a church that seek out the quiet place with you. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Amen. God bless you online. You can register for next week. If you would like to do that right now, you can do that. And uh, we pray.